Welcome to That'll Preach, weekly segment on the Forks Midtown podcast. I'm Brian. I'm joined with Paul, and we are continuing our series on the church. Why church? Why does the church matter? We're going to talk about that. The church really does matter, right, Paul? It absolutely does. That's right, and that's it. That's the end of our podcast today. Thank you for listening. <laughs> See you next week. You know what we're doing, though, different than before? We're going to start off with a hot take. I feel like we gave that intro last time. Yeah, but we're going we to do it. Give yeah. it again, and because nobody listens to it, that's true. It's the first time for new listeners. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, what's your hot take for today that you're just going to spring on me? Are you ready for this? No, <clears throat> it might not be a hot take. You might actually agree with me. It's a cold take. It is. It might be lukewarm. Ooh, you Cute. know what Jesus says I about know, the Luke? He's going to spit you out of his mouth. Go ahead. Uh, Hit me with the hot take. Here's the thing: pineapple on pizza is absolutely disgusting. I agree with that. Okay, good. No, I 100% okay. agree with that. I don't know it why is, people do that. It's inhuman. Oh my goodness. It's like fruit salad in a bread bowl. That's I don't to me I don't like any kind of sweet stuff on things that are supposed to be salty. So you don't like like half of the world's food. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a sweet tooth though. I'm impervious to to sugar's charms. But surely you like 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 zesty Asian dishes. That's racist. <laughs> I don't ask you if you like Egyptian. What are, what are even Egyptian dishes? <laughs> Falafel. Sand. Hummus. Oh my sandwiches. Yeah, there you go. There you go. No, but I, I get it with the pineapple. Look, with pineapples, to me, that's strange. It's just too much of a clash of, I mean, like, it's not pineapples pizza. And it's, it's with the cheese, too. Yeah, I know. That's disgusting. It's, it is. It's vile. It's disgusting. And people think that, like, that's a good idea. I'd rather have anchovies. I, yeah, okay. I would take because that. Because at least that's, that's like, salty. Yeah, although they just, they look like sweaty eyebrows. That's what Jim Gaffigan calls them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah, with the pineapples, I don't I don't get it. And I just think it's, I don't even know. Do you, do, but people never just get straight pineapples. They mix it with. Yeah, but still, like, I feel it says a lot about you as a person. What does it say about you as a person? Uh, you're just not a person. You're just. Really? Something else. Is this yeah. a philosophical type of. Uh, what syllogism or it indicates that you have some like severe moral defect and you're just not a person anymore man that was harsh this yeah, went from hot was, take yeah. to like yeah wow this this is a brutal take no but yeah i agree okay it's so for everyone out there that that's that's i mean i don't think that should be controversial i mean you'd be surprised a lot of people it's like the beatles thing it's a lot of people find this really so close people to like home. people like eating people like being known for liking pineapple more than they like I think pineapple. it is kind of trendy. Yeah. It's like one of those like avant-garde things that you put on pizza, but it is actually disgusting. And yeah, you should not get that. Doesn't belong well, it's there. called a Hawaiian pizza, right? Yeah. Well, the Hawaiian is like ham and, and pineapple. It, that's even weirder. I know. I don't like I ham on pizza. You just don't like ham. I really, yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I can take a ham sandwich, but I don't get, I, okay, maybe this is adding on to your hot take, but I don't get the whole ham, <laughs> the little ham like pieces on salads. I don't uh, do yeah. that. It's like a step below bacon. Yeah, that's I, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Why not just get exactly. the bacon? Yeah. Right. It's like bad bacon. <laughs> it's like rubbery bacon. Why would you do that? So I, I'm glad we I'm glad we talked about this. I'm glad we're on the same page about this. I feel like our strength, friend, our strength, our friendship is strengthened as a yeah, result. This is all it takes. This yeah. is all it takes. And you know what this does? This builds community. Mm. Uh huh. Like the uh, church is a community. That was tenuous, but I like and it. And <laughs> it and. You know who else didn't like eating ham? The Israelites. 
<laughs> I was like, where's he going with they this? They couldn't. That is I true. I bet they couldn't eat pineapple either. It's probably in the Levitical laws or something like that. It probably wasn't around in... Actually, no. There's pineapple like in the Middle East. Anyway, sure. yeah. that doesn't matter. What does matter is... Nice we're transition talk- to the topic. Exactly. You just got to go for it. So w- one of the things we're going to talk about today is the importance of liturgy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that admits that the bring in some high church, right? Or, bring in or the is bells, it? bells and whistles and smoke and and uh, I'm I'm running what out of things. Say, yeah. Giant candles. Oh, the 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 robes. Yeah, the vestments. The interesting hats. Yeah, all these things. And uh, oftentimes when I think smoke about liturgy, machines. smoke machines. That exactly. That's all part of liturgy. Disco balls. All these things are part of what we're going to kind of talk about. Now, I mean, obviously, it's a little tongue-in-cheek. I mean, liturgy is much more than that. But when we think about liturgy, that's what I think of. I think of like high church, kind of very formal and regal and all these kinds of things. Bells and smells. Bells and smells. But liturgy is way more broad than that, Hmm. right? So you, as a philosopher slash church historian slash... I am none of those things. Slash But maybe a philosopher. (laughs) Uh. Tell us what liturgy is. I feel what like people is, are actually going to think I'm a priest now. Like, I'm just going to disavow that in public. While I, you're single, you wear weird hats. I don't wear hats, but you I carry, am single. Uh, you carry a candle around with smoke. <laughs> None of that is true. <laughs> That's One of those three is true. What is it? Two <laughs> lies and a, or one lie and, a, and two truths or yeah, this something was, like that. Yeah, whatever. Regardless, let's get back. Stop putting, stop, stop distracting me. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the church and liturgy. What is liturgy? How would you define liturgy? I mean, the actual definition. No, give me the fake one. Make one up. (laughs) Liturgy just It's a type (laughs) of pogo stick. (laughs) Who's the one who's being distracting now? Go. Liturgy just means public work or work of the people. It's like um, two Sounds like communism to me. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it is just like... It's it's super simple. I know it like evokes all these thoughts of like bells and smells and hats and like high church and like massive like sky high cathedral ceilings, but really liturgy is just the public work, the work of the people done like communally. So like by definition, every church service has a liturgy. Every church service is a work of people and there's like an order of service and at bottom it's it like it really is just that simple. You can't avoid it. So every church is doing some kind of repeated pattern. Yeah. Right. Right. You, you could be a contemporary modern evangelical church and everybody knows you go there and then yep. there's going to be the opening song with the lights mm-hmm. and then they ask for the offering yep. and then the joke and yep. then the yep. guy comes up <laughs> and then the, you know, all these different things. There's always a set pattern and yep. there's a set aesthetic and there's a set feel and a mood no matter what you do. So you can't avoid liturgy. Everybody's, yep. the people are working. Yes. <laughs> right? The yeah, people yeah. are doing something. And it's repeated and people know it instinctively once you go a couple times. Yeah. I mean, like no matter how hard you try to uh, disavow yourself from like, oh, well, like it's only the the Catholics and the Anglicans and like the super high churchy people that do liturgy. Your church, like you said, is going to have like some order that it follows, even if it's just not perfect, but like, you know, you place the joke right after the announcements or like you, you have an altar call or, you know, you've got the sermon first, then the worship or worship, then service or tithing, whatever. So any, any sort of order of service, anything that the, that is done publicly, communally in that session of church time, that is your liturgy. And, and I mean, 
The goal is to have like a good liturgy, to be reflective about it, uh, because it is inevitable. You will have one whether you want it or not. And something's ordering it, right? Oh, yeah. Either it's, it might right. be pragmatism, like, oh, we got to get people out at this time, or we really want to focus on this aspect of uh, of the church service. I, hmm. I always, a lot of like hip churches talk about, we want to have an experience, right? <laughs> but we don't come to services. We, we come to our nine o'clock experience. Oh, man. And it's hmm. like, but you can't. And in a sense, they're right in the sense of like every church, you're experiencing something. Hmm. Every No matter what you do, you're going to experience something. It's whether that experience is based upon what's revealed, what God actually desires us to do. And is it shaping you in the right and ways? And is it shaping yeah. you in the right ways? Yeah. So, and it's very basic. Sometimes we check out, you know, when we when we think about church. We, hmm. But our whole lives are, are the culmination of our habits. Absolutely. Your routines. How you, what you do during the day, what, you know, if you have health goals, you create new routines. If you have a, you know, you're raising kids, you have routines with your kids, hmm. practice and school and all extracurricular activities and all that stuff. You have thought patterns in your own mind, how you think about things. It's almost instinctive, right? So you have these scripts going on in your head over and over again. So our lives are the culmination of our choices, which are often repeated in the same routine over hmm. and over again. And we just check out when it comes to church. We just think, oh no, church, it doesn't. We don't have that for church. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't form us at all. Mm. We think that we're just brains in meat suits. You know, Absolutely. like we can just show up to a, a service and as long as the content's fine, it doesn't matter what package it comes in. Mm. But uh, we fail to realize that so many things shape us on a subconscious level in mm -hmm. the rest of our life. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't the church service do the same thing as well? Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I mean, we're borrowing a little here from James K. Smith's work. If you haven't read his uh you are what you love, and some of his other books—they're really great on this issue. Um, so we, you know, really endorse those. But yeah, he talks about like how there's there was like a, a big mistake, like sort of in the history of the church, and in treating people just as their brains. And so like you often have like um, this this emphasis on so like the Reformation emphasized the word, right? And so like this is like a, a broad mischaracterization, but it is just like, so like Catholics, like they emphasize sacrament and the reformation, like recentered and brought back like the emphasis on the word. Um, but in that there is like, uh, something negative that, that could be like a tendency of just seeing people as their brains. Like all they need is information, but like, we're not just brains. Like we're, we're not just like abstract mental entities in meat suits. We are bodies. Like we have bodies now we're going to die. God's going to resurrect our bodies. And he created us in this way. So like, we shouldn't be surprised that we like should incorporate all of our body when we worship, like in the church service, like all of our body should be like engaged and stimulated. And like, we don't just learn through passive reception of information. We learn and like, we get reshaped by like, by what we sing, by how we stand, how we kneel, all these sorts of things. Um, so it's not just like we're brains. We're not just like mental entities. We are we're people, we're embodied, we're all these kinds of things. And that has to affect our worship and how we structure our church. We know that when we go to a football game. Oh yeah. I mean, there's liturgies of, of chance for a team. Yep, yep. When people do the wave, mm. you know, we understand halftime and, and what goes on there. And we understand the four quarters and all these different things. And you have this unified, you know, body of people. And it's all centered and focused upon a team. Mm. So it's part of who we, and, and that environment mm. Is for that the way that the the way a uh, a stadium is is centered? I mean, it's it's descending bleachers down to the field, mm. and it channels sound a certain way, and it allows you to see everything a certain way, and that all adds into the experience. Absolutely. And you think about, I mean, the thing is, 
you would never go to a funeral in sweatpants. You know what I mean? <laughs> you shouldn't go to you a shouldn't funeral. You shouldn't go to right? Why? Yeah. Because you recognize that how you dress needs to be appropriate to the situation. Now, I'm mm. not saying that everyone has to go to suits in church. Sure. But think of, if you think about a funeral, it's a very solemn, somber, thoughtful thing. Mm. So the, the, the eulogy should be written down and yeah. thought through, not yeah. just off the cuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, because you want it, to be something that's reflective and mm. appropriate to the place and you want it to be in order. It actually shows dignity and thoughtfulness. But why don't we think that that should be the case for the church? Yeah. We, we, sometimes we even think it's unspiritual. Like the only thing that's that's spiritual is what's spontaneous. Mm. If it just comes over you, then it's the spirit. Now that can be the spirit, Yeah. but it can also, the spirit also works through routine, Absolutely. also works through the liturgy, also works through these, these habits over time, mm. right? And you want to think when you go to church, does it feel like a place set apart for the worship of God hmm. in the same way that a funeral should feel like a place set apart for grief, hmm. right? That there is an aesthetic sensibility that should supplement the content that's being taught. I mean, do you feel like you're going there and you're like, wow, this really does the the space of this room, the way it's ordered, the thoughtfulness, it makes me think that this is sacred. Hmm. Or does it make you think you're just at a nightclub too with a Bible open? Absolutely. I mean, just on that point, um, we were talking about this earlier, but there are a couple of like interesting scientific findings that like support some of this. So like uh, you talked about how like a space is laid out. So researchers have found that like people are more likely to like process information better and retain information better about God or the supernatural if their gaze is focused upwards. Because we just have this like very natural propensity as humans to like think of the divine as like up above. I mean, you were talking earlier, we were talking earlier about like how the the ancient Israelites, when they prayed, they would stand up and look up to heaven and hold their hands up. And the posturing really does like affect how we see ourselves in relation to God, right? Like if I if I look up, then I get this sense of like, God's grandness, God's majesty. If I kneel, then I have a sense of like my my position, like I should be reverent towards God. And, and all of these like bodily movements do shape how I think. Like, again, we're not just brain. So I could sit down in a chair and try to like cultivate and instill like reverence for God, or I can like kneel or lift my eyes to the heavens and my body like helps me get those like correct beliefs and values in that. So like, like there's, there is evidence to support this. And like, there's evidence that like, um, you think about like the old cathedrals and like massive buildings in Europe, like they were all like vaulted ceilings and windows all the way at the top. And like, they, they drew your eye to the heavens and there's something like both beautiful and stirring. And like, it helps you, it almost induces a spirit of worship. Um, scientists have also found that people feel more socially bonded to people when they sing together, when they read aloud texts. So this is why like we read creeds together, we could read prayers, we sing, and you do actually feel closer to these people. You feel more willing to share, you feel more willing to help them, you feel more willing to like carry burdens for each other. And it's it's the same phenomenon, like I'll, I'll grant this, like in the sports context, when people chant and sing together, they do feel bonded. Like this is just a very natural mechanism that God is like encouraging us to use in the church service as well. Like this is what it means to be human. Like we we are bonded when we do these activities. And so like being reflective and like careful and methodical about how we construct the church service um, can like really aid our worship practice. And so it's not just giving people information, it's how can we help people use their bodies to like train their minds? And we know this, I mean, your thoughts are, 
you know, your emotions are, are channeled by chemical reactions mm-hmm. and your body and your mind, there's all this connections there. We're not trying to be weird and mystical. <laughs> I mean, but I think that there are just some realities to this. And, you know, your church is going to reflect what you value. I mean, I, I mm. think, you know, when you think about the vaulted ceilings, like you mm-hmm. were talking about, I can see today people saying, well, that's not practical. Yeah. I mean, like, what's the point of that? Mm-hmm. We could just have a lower ceiling, but we could have a bigger space on the side for right. our Sunday school classes and a better parking lot and da 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 da. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, but sure. that's also, that's a value of pragmatism. Sure. Then I think someone said that pragmatism is the uniquely American philosophy, <laughs> right? That, where, yeah, I could see that. When you think about it, where, where buildings and, and church structures, everything's about efficiency. Hmm. You know, how do we give people the most bang for their buck? How do we make everything easy to access? How do we make everything clear? And that's not, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Sure. It's just something you have to recognize. Yeah, it's a trade-off. And, and, yeah. and maybe there needs to be a swinging back the other way where we go, no, we don't just want everything to be about mass efficiency or mass communication, just, just trying to get information downloaded to you as quick as possible. Right, right. Or even just to get you three life hacks to, to take away or, or just mm-hmm. whatever. But to, to think about the aesthetics and to think about the way the, the, the service is structured so that it teaches us something about God, right? You're, you're always being taught. Hmm. Uh, and we'll get to this in later episodes when we talk about singing and song and hmm. hymns because Luther said he'd give up all the preaching if he could control the hymn book, Wow! right? And we're always being taught beyond just the sermon hmm. and uh, understanding I mean, just think about how much your childhood shaped you hmm. when you weren't verbal. You didn't know how to speak. You couldn't read, right? You weren't exactly coherent in your thoughts, but the way your parents acted, the rhythms of family dinner and playtime and nap time and all these different things formed you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you weren't even necessarily aware of it. You weren't sitting there understanding what it was all for. But later on, when you gained an understanding, those habits were built into you and, hmm. and, and it started to build things like discipline in your life, things like respect for authority in your life, things like valuing family. All those things were built into you before you were even cognizant of them. You oh, didn't yeah. really know that you were being taught these lessons. Hmm. Why can't the church liturgy be the same way? I mean, you think about like now with COVID and everything going online, I think this like proves our point that the fact that everyone is like, Everyone's so eager to get back to church. We recognize that the Zoom meeting is not enough. Like the live stream is not enough. Me at home, like listening to a sermon is not like, that's not what God wants for us in church. There's something about being in person. There's something about the space. There's something about the corporateness of the activity. And that is doing as much as, if not more of the shaping than just the words being spoken. Like there, there is something like, like deeply like, metaphysical happening there of like God, God binding his church together through this practice, through this space, through this like interaction. And you can't like replicate that just via like zoom. You can't, you can't do that to the same degree. Like it's just, it's not difficult. And I think people are like seeing that, like ask anyone who's like doing the live streams, like, man, is this an ideal situation? No, like this is, this is a far cry from like the way God intended us. And people miss out on the interactions and the fellowship and the like the Lord's Supper being there to take the elements like in person, all of that is what God uses to shape us. And I think that proves the point. We're not just minds, like we are bodies and we should like um, construct our services to reflect that. Well, you think even, why do we stand and sing? Because mm. yeah. we're singing to God. Right. Why do we sit during the sermon? Because yeah, we're hearing yeah. the word preached. Mm-hmm. So 
these give us subconscious cues even on how we're supposed to approach the word and how we're supposed to approach God. And Sinclair Ferguson has a great quote where he says, worship involves first and foremost, God's welcome of us, not our welcome of each other. Hmm. I love that because we begin every service at Four Oaks with a call to worship, Mm -hmm. which is God calling his people through his word to worship. Meaning God is the one who's already there and he's inviting us. So God is to set the agenda for how he wants to be worshiped. And you, you think about, uh, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well at, at, in John 4, he tells her, you know, there, there's coming a day when my worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. So I think it's, it's by the spirit of God hmm. yep. in truth, yep. which means that, that you can do it in a false way, right? There's a hmm. true way to worship God. And I think the guidelines for that are, is it biblical? Does it exalt and honor God? Hmm. Who is it primarily for? Right. And it's interesting because in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 to 25, the Apostle Paul talks about how unbelievers will walk into a service and they'll hear the word prophesied. They'll hear the word, they'll see the worship service Mm -hmm. and they'll fall on their faces in conviction because Mm. it's so alien. It's so unlike the world that they're from. And that counter-cultural feel of the church is actually an evangelistic tool. It's actually meant to make people go, this is different from from these other things in the world. This mm. is set apart, this is holy, this is sacred, yep. and I have to yep. contend with this. You know, and I, I think we miss that when we try to make the church liturgy based around, a lot of times when we think about pragmatism, it ends up just becoming what works for the world, let's just try to baptize it a little right, bit with right. Christian spiritual stuff, mm-hmm. and then just say, hey, even though this feels like a rock concert, uh, the, the words are Christian, <laughs> right? you know? <laughs> and any good, Creative artist knows the medium is the message. Hmm. How you say the message is part of the message. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think, yeah, like we end up doing like a disservice to the gospel if we dress it up too much to look like the world. So like, yeah, I, imagine someone who's just like totally in the world. They want to go to church to experience like they've heard there's something different about this kind of experience. So they go to a church and they walk in and it looks exactly like the nightclub that they just came out from. Right. That's going to be hugely disappointing, right? You just like spent your whole, you know, the last few years in this vanity and you wanted something else. You wanted that breath of fresh air. And the first church you walked into looked exactly like where you came from. And so I think like stylistically in terms of how the space is set out and all of these things, um, it's supposed to be the breath of fresh air to someone who's coming from the outside. It's supposed to look different. It's supposed to look weird. Like, I think that is part of the the attraction of Christianity, that it's in the world, but it's not, we're not trying to mimic the world. We know what the world offers. We're not trying to offer like a Christianized, baptized version of that. We're trying to say there's something else that's totally different, looks weird, it's counterintuitive, but to those that God is calling to himself, that's the breath of fresh air. When they see this and it looks different, it looks, you know, like that's attractive because it's not like all that vain stuff that you're coming from. It looks a lot more attractive. Let me just read this quote from uh, James K. A. Smith. He says, we are what we love and our love is shaped, primed, and aimed by liturgical practices that take hold of our gut and aim our heart to certain ends. We are more concretely homo liturgicus, Humans are these animals that are religious animals, not because we're primarily believing animals, but because we're liturgical animals, embodied, practicing creatures creatures whose love and desires aimed at something ultimate. So we are like homo sapiens. We are homo liturgicus. What he just means by that is like, we can't help 
but but do liturgies. Like the entire human life is full of liturgies. Like when you scroll through your phone and you're like clicking yes and no, or like moving things up and down, that's a liturgy. It's training your brain to view the world in a certain way. James K. Smith talks about this commercial where like a guy is presented with a girl and then a car, then a house, and he just like swipes on the ones that he wants and doesn't. Like that, that is how we've been trained to see the world, like instant gratification, instant control. I have everything in the palm of my hand. Like we're kidding ourselves if we think that doesn't affect how we see the world. So like these everyday liturgies, the purpose of the church is to combat those and to recultivate and to reshape and to recalibrate our brains from worldly patterns of thinking to look more like gospel-centered, biblical, godly ways of thinking. Well, one of the things that the Reformation brought to the forefront was, again, the idea of liturgy and, and what K.A. Smith is talking about. We are mm -hmm. creatures of liturgy. Yeah. Making it, again, the people's work. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the Catholic tradition, the priests were effectively doing everything. Right. And people were spectators. And the Reformation said, no, we want to bring it back to the people doing the work. We're active worshipers. We're not just watching on the sidelines someone else performing some religious thing. Hmm. We ourselves are engaged in this. And that is a powerful way to think about the worship. But you go back to the scrolling through Instagram or mm -hmm. scrolling through the, 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 guy, the guy who's picking the kind of per, the woman he wants to be with, the car, the house. Oftentimes we can think about church in that way. Mm. Is the yeah, preaching yeah. the way I want? Is yeah. the worship is, I, what do I think about the curtains? And how do I think <laughs> about this? And what, how's all this? How's the coffee? <laughs> and we want to have this pick and choose worship experience that's catered to us. Mm. Instead of thinking about what are these words that I'm saying? What do they reflect about God? Am I outward focused? Am I going out towards God? Am I looking at my neighbor? Am I thinking or thinking less of myself? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Am I going to a place that does not cater to my consumeristic needs, mm. but rather draws me out of myself to worship of God? And so when you have church services that are catered to a non-believer or even overly catered to a demographic, yeah, you can end up reinforcing a message of consumerism, mm -hmm. even if you have nine sermon series on why we shouldn't be consumers. Ooh, your, your, your medium <laughs> is is going to either go counter to what you're saying or it's going to reinforce it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why we have to be thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I, I also love the idea of kind of what, what K.A. Smith is talking about with, with habits shaping us. I hear people who run. I don't run. <laughs> I would never do such a torturous thing. I mean, That's another I hot take. <laughs> I know, right? Running is useless. But a lot of times people, when they get into running, they force themselves to do it for a while and then they end up really liking it. Yep. And you hear a lot of times, and this is true, when you, you, you wake up, you don't want to work out, right? But what you do is you put on your shoes, you put on your workout clothes, you grab your water bottle and the action of doing that will actually jumpstart your motivation. Mm -hmm. You just force yourself to get going. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need your to, to rev up the engine, so to speak, in that way. And so these routines and habits, you don't want to pray, but you go to church and they have an opening prayer and they're helping you pray. Mm. So you maybe just sit there and you just pray along with them and suddenly you feel like you want to pray. You don't really want to sing, but the song starts and it makes you want to sing. You maybe don't want to hear the word of God, but they read it out loud and then suddenly you're getting your Bible reading in, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes you need these prompts of habit to get you going. If you just sit around 
and wait for for emotion or motivation to strike, you will not do anything. Mm -hmm. And we know this with physical health. Why can't this be the case with spiritual health? You need these helps, these guidelines to push you forward. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, with the marriage counselors, marriage therapists, you've got this couple that comes in. They're talking about the relationship being lackluster. There's no romance. There's whatever. Like One of the most oft repeated pieces of advice there to the couple is just do the things that you did before, like go out, even if you don't have those feelings, you know, give them a massage, do that little special something for them, bring them flowers. Like, even if you don't feel like it and hope that the affections will come and then they will, like, it's just that kickstarting, like you do the thing without feeling it. And you trust that like God brings the feelings along afterwards, but because we're embodied, sometimes it takes doing the bodily action first and then the emotions and the the affections come afterwards. Paul Rizkala, master of romance. I know. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, again, liturgy. What are we talking about? It's basically the patterns and habits that shape our worship and everybody has them. It just matters whether they're forming us into better worshipers or not and whether it's biblical and it's a powerful tool to form and make Christians mature. And so it's something that we need to think about and something that hopefully uh, we appreciate more if your church does have a liturgy to go in and say, this is a way that God works. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just have to work through spontaneous bursts of emotion. He can work through the ordinary means of prayer, the word, of preaching, of singing together, the Lord's Supper, and just being together with the saints. Mm. There's a powerful formative effect of that, and we don't want to overlook that. Amen. Thank you guys for listening to this. Make sure that you leave a review. Give us some five stars so uh, we can uh, get some more traction with this podcast. Thank you guys again for tuning in. We'll be back next week.